I've got a question for our youngest family members here, um, and you can, you can let me know. You can give out your answer, okay? Are you ready for Christmas? Yes, yes, I'm here. All right, yeah. How about my youth group people? Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah. Ah, listen to that. That's energy. Uh, good, good. We, uh, we've got people ready for Christmas. And how about it, adults? Are you ready for Christmas? Hey, all right. The adults represented here. This is good. I, see, I, I, I think they just didn't want to be outdone uh, by the younger ones. Because uh, sometimes when we ask that question, we want to know that the other person is just as unprepared as we are. It's like, so are you ready for Christmas yet? You're hoping they'll say, oh, no, not yet. Well, me neither. Now I don't feel so bad. Um, you know, and I'm going to give you a little bit of advice, kids. I'm going to tell you exactly what your uh, parents want. They want a nap for Christmas, okay? You're probably worried that you'll sleep through Christmas. I don't know how many of you have ever worried about that. That's a, that's a kid's biggest fear. It's like, what if I sleep and then I wake up the next day and then it's not Christmas anymore and does it go away? Adults love to sleep through Christmas. And so you tell them that you'll go build Lego Millennium Falcon and they can take a little nap and you'll be good and your parents will be very happy and pleased with that. What you heard here with the kids shouting out, with everybody shouting out about Christmas, that is what we call anticipation, that we are waiting we're waiting for Saturday, a day that we build up to almost all year long. Here comes Christmas. In, in Scripture, there is a day that is anticipated called the Day of the Lord. And it's, sometimes it's given as a fearful day, but more often than not, the anticipation of the Day of the Lord is that this is going to be a great day. That this is going to be a significant and important day. It will be an awesome day in that it will be filled with some awesome spectacle. But it will also be the day when God sets all things right. The subject of the return of Christ is vital to the preaching of the first century uh, preachers. People like Paul and Silas and Timothy. In fact, that teaching is so important to them that after 1 Thessalonians, the letter to the Thessalonians, the first one, after that covered the return of Christ, they decided they needed something of a spiritual booster shot. And so they wrote 2 Thessalonians, the second letter, just to clarify how important this return of Christ is and what it meant. And also to clarify some some things that maybe they weren't completely clear on. I want to give you two-thirds of that this morning. It's a very short letter. Second Thessalonians, let's pay attention to the Word of God. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you. Because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecution and hardships that you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show His justice and make you worthy of His kingdom for which you are suffering. 
in his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all you who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you'll be honored along with him. And this is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say, well, the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything regarded as a deity, every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they'll believe these lies and then they will be condemned for enjoying evil, for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We're always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we, when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. May he comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing that you do and say. Amen. This is God's word. And this is that second word about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, if you happened to catch this or saw this, I gave you this, this model of, of history and the future. What all is going to happen? And it's rather detailed. 
All of the things here. You can go back and look at that. I'm going to simplify it. To simplify it, it looks like this. There's the first advent of Jesus Christ. We just sang about that this morning. Silent night. Hark the herald angels sings. The the birth of a newborn king. That's the first advent. The first arrival of Jesus Christ. What awaits us in the future is the second. We live now, which is in between those two goalposts. In between those two historical markers. And it defines the line of history from now till then. Advent is a word you're going to hear a lot right now if you haven't already. And Advent, let's be honest, Advent sometimes just people think, is that just, you know, Lutheran Christmas? I mean, what, what is it exactly? I mean, we got Advent calendars and everything, and you're supposed to open the door. What does it mean? Well, Advent is a word that we use at this time to describe kind of a larger Christmas season. But if you think about it, the word Advent, it does come up in our conversation from time to time, and we talk about the arrival of a very notable or important person or event, something that comes into our history and our story, and we recognize it, and it, it changes things. So just in our lifetime, just recently, you can talk about the advent of the pandemic and how that's shaped everything and affected all of us. You can talk about the advent of social media a few years ago and how that's changed things. And when we say it like that, we understand what it means. It means that's when that event or that, that technology or that thing arrived in our history. And we get that. So Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The first Advent is the Advent of Jesus Christ in this world. The second Advent will be His return. The first Advent of Christ and the future second Advent shape the direction of history. When when we sing these songs and and the first Advent of Jesus Christ is the incarnation, It's it's the message, it's the event that the Son of God is born, a child to a virgin in fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 7. That changes everything. That event, that birth in Bethlehem, changes everything and it marks out the path to this second advent. If you pay attention, you can see it there and you can see that, that, that wise people, people who care about what happens in this world, they, they recognize these things. It shows up in the things that are said. I've been thinking as I was studying this of a statement that Martin Luther King makes just days before his assassination. He's given a sermon at the National Cathedral. He says, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. You know, see, he has this idea that there's a direction of history. And all of the efforts that he and others before him and those after him will be doing to accomplish justice, it's going to succeed. They're going to overcome because he knows this larger story about the first advent and the second advent of Christ. We need to see that as well. We need to see that because I'm going to tell you, there are forces out there that want to convince us that everything's going to get bad and everything's going to get horrible And it's all going to come falling apart around us, and it's never going to get better. 
This is why we need the spiritual booster shot of 2 Thessalonians, okay? This is a booster shot that protects us from misinformation and despair. That's a booster shot that we can all be in for, okay? And the good news is it's right here. It's in God's Word. It's right here in this community. It's right there in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We need that. Because if you know where things are heading, if you know where everything is heading, then no matter how bad it gets, we're not going to lose. He's not going to lose. The only way we can lose is to leave the losing side, the winning side rather. The only way we win, the way we win, is to leave the losing side. When we look at Scripture, it has this idea of arcing towards justice. In His first advent, Christ suffered injustice. And so we look at Jesus and we realize that this model church has a model Savior that they can look to. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider Him, consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Sometimes when we suffer opposition or when we suffer bad things, we go into this false moral inventory and we think, oh, what have I done? How have I offended God? Why is God beating up on me? Oh, here comes Satan after me. And we go through all this stuff and we try to fix it. Instead, the message of Scripture is, hey, endure it. In the words of Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer, as it's often known, hardship is a pathway to peace. Yeah. That means that just because things are bad, it doesn't mean that they won't end better. Jesus endures the cross for the sake of God's will, for His love for us. And that, that's the Gospel message. Christ suffers injustice in His first advent, but in His second advent, He brings justice. In Daniel chapter 7, this is where we get the image of the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. You know, we sing the song, These are the Days of Elijah. And it has this imagery in it. And I want you to understand, this is where that imagery comes from, among other places. Daniel has a vision of that second advent. He says, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One sat down to judge, and His clothing was as white as snow, His hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from His presence. Millions of angels ministered to Him. Many millions stood to attend Him. And then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Here's the Son of Man, the Ancient One. Here's the, here's the One that comes to judge, sitting on the throne. This is the justice that He will bring. Now, that comes up again in 2 Thessalonians. You'll, you'll notice that uh, he says that God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. This is verse 7 of chapter 1. And also for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, He will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Now if somebody asks you, what did your preacher preach on the Sunday before Christmas? Don't say he preached hellfire. This is not hellfire. This is heaven fire. And that's different. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't say that, you know, he preached turn or burn. All right? 
That's not what this message is. Notice that this message, there's nothing being said to the believers that they need to turn or burn. It's being told to those who are suffering the indignities of following Jesus. They're following Jesus, and yet they're still getting persecuted for that. And he says, don't worry, God's going to set everything right. He's the one that's going to enact justice. This is no different than sometimes when we tell people, hey, you've got to trust the system to do its work. You've got to trust the courts. You've got to trust the authorities. And when we do that, we hope that we have a trustworthy and reliable system of justice. But we tell people, don't take the law into your own hands. Don't become vengeful. Don't go vigilante. All right? Trust the system to enact justice. That's what's being said here. And the one who brings justice is far more reliable than any of our institutions will ever be. Even the best of them. Then he mentions this man of lawlessness, or as some say, the son of perdition. Now, I decided that since perdition is a rather old word and doesn't make much sense and we never use it anymore, I mean, it is. It's covered in mold. Don't use that word anymore. It doesn't mean anything. A word that everybody's familiar with now is doom. And son of doom sounds a bit like a villain from a movie, which is sort of what Paul and Silas and Timothy are getting at. They're saying, look, you know that you don't need to be worried that you've missed the day of the Lord because some things have to happen first. There's going to be rebellion, and then there's going to be this, this character, this son of doom, this man of sin. And who is he? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. I don't know. Now, it's either a general identifier, like when the psalmist says, you know, the wicked oppose me, or God, work, you know, bring justice upon the wicked one, the wicked ones. I can tell you who it's not. It's not Satan. Because he says that this son of doom, this man of sin, is really doing Satan's work. So it's somebody doing Satan's work. The work of the enemy. But here's what you need to know. Whether it's general or specific. you know, It could be a specific person. It might be just a general idea. Here's the thing you need to know. That he first of all usurps the authority of the Son of Man. He's a pretend, kind of a sham Son of Man. Okay? Hey, kind of a, you know, one, one of my favorite things on Instagram is... Uh, there's this whole channel on Instagram of uh, bootleg stuff. You know? It's like bad products uh, that, that are, are poor copies. The son of doom is a bootleg son of man. Okay, he, he's, he's, not, he's not really good at it, but he's going to take the throne. He's going to claim that he's God. He's going to claim that he has the right to rule. He's this pretender that, that says all this stuff. But the truth is, the gospel message from Paul, Silas, and Timothy is don't fall for it. It's all a sham. He opposes deity and worship. Kind of anti-religion. So he's going to be active in this work of getting people convinced that they've waited around so long, maybe all this gospel stuff, maybe all this stuff, all this talk about heaven and the second advent, maybe it's all just a sham. And he's going to be using deception. 
Now, whether it's one person or many people or no one specific, all that really matters is he's going to be defeated by the breath of Jesus' mouth, which is to say the truth, the word, the word of Jesus will undo him and defeat him. So I don't, I agree with the writers of 2 Thessalonians. You don't need to run around looking over your shoulder. Is the, is the son of doom back there? Where is he? You don't have to go reading the headlines wondering, is that the son of doom? Is that the son of doom? Yeah. Is this guy the son of doom? Maybe this person over here. He's defeated. He's already defeated. Those who will not obey the gospel, it's, he's defeated. He'll be revealed and undone. But again, trust the system. Trust God's system. God will undo it in time. Now that's what this second advent is all about. God's going to set everything right. And until Christ arrives, until he comes again, the second advent, we can be grateful for our faithful family. You know, one of the things that I've been looking back over the last two years, 2020 and 2021, I'm extremely thankful for this spiritual family here. You have persevered in the toughest times. You've held on. We had people show up at Coco and Carol's that haven't been able to be with us for a long time. And that's, that's nearly been suffering. And they finally got to come and be with us and it was wonderful. And I'm telling you, it's not by their choice, it's just by circumstances. And so I want to say to some of you out there that we haven't been able to see you. But we know the day's coming when we'll spend time together, more time. Yeah, I, I don't know, is this, you know, is... You know, we went through this Delta variant, and now we've got the Optimus Prime variant coming, you know, and it's, uh, is it going to be bad? Is it going to be, I don't know, but you know what? I know that we're, we're going to get through this because we know how to be faithful. We know how to be faithful, and we know how to endure so we can be grateful for one another. And I am, I'm just like the writers, I'm like, I am so thankful for you, and I give thanks for you. I wanted to preach about a model church because I believe that we are something of a model church. Not because of who we are, but because so many of us have chosen to be obedient and faithful to God. We haven't wanted to do things our own way, but instead we've said, God, we're just going to do things your way. Stand firm then until He comes again. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching. Lord willing, if we, you know, as we come into next year, one of the first things we're going to start out with is how to read and understand God's Word. How to use God's Word. Because I know that with the upcoming year, everybody wants to study their Bible. They want to read their Bible. Good. Good. I affirm that. Let's do it together. And until Christ arrives, we've got strength. We've got resources that you cannot find anywhere else because we are comforted and strengthened by God's grace. As we go around the Lord's Supper table this morning, we're reminded of what He suffered. We will consider Him who endured that opposition, but we will also consider and anticipate His second advent.